Welcome to Box to Box Football. Welcome, 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 Box to Box Football. We're back after midweek European action. I'm Kyle. JJ's in the house. He's he's rocking his uh, Gotham FC. Uh, they're in the uh, NWSL final, right, JJ? LFG bats. <laughs> LFG bats. Now, I mean, we'll talk about that maybe perhaps at the end of the show because it is kind of a fascinating one. By the way, big shout out to that huge money deal that that league just got with their brand new broadcasting deal with ESPN, CBS, Amazon Prime, and Ion, I believe it is. But over four years, combined package worth close to a quarter of a billion. That's with a B billion dollars. So big days. Well, we're going to start our show in the Champions League with the midweek action. And once again, JJ, there are three letters that everybody wants to, that is on everybody's tip of their tongue. And that is V-A-R, or once again, it has become involved in deciding games. Uh, you go back to the, the weekend in the Premier League, you had the Arsenal and Newcastle game where VAR got involved and they released the, the audio from that. And it was a cluster you-know-what as they tried to figure out what the heck was going on there. Uh, and then we jump into the Champions League action midweek where Manchester United, Copenhagen, United, uh, Rasmus Hoyland scores two goals against his, his hometown team. United looks like it's it's rolling towards a, a, an away victory, and then all of a sudden, boom, Marcus Rashford, video review, sent off at the, the advice of the, the, the VAR official, totally changes the game. Copenhagen uh, equalizes for, for halftime. Manchester United actually then takes the lead after VAR awards a penalty for a handball in the box. They couldn't hold on to it. Copenhagen scores late twice. It turns into a famous night for the Danish club and perhaps an infamous infamous night for Manchester United as it goes to the bottom, uh, drops to the bottom of that group in the Champions League. JJ, uh, my question for you is, why does VAR seem to keep getting in its own way and are we applying it correctly? Well, um, first off, I should probably just preface this by saying my referee uh, credentials only goes far as under eight. So I am not the person to be answering this question with any modicum of uh, previous experience. But I guess what I'll say is this. It, it has lost the plot because now we've gotten to the point similar to what we've seen in American sports now where we need to utilize video for just about everything at every moment because whether it is just the way that it's evolved i mean briefly for those overseas that are listening you know kind of the first things that we saw of the american quote-unquote core four sports was that video was used for american baseball to see if home runs were hit fair or foul that was roughly around 2012 i think somewhere along those lines Anyways, then it just kept ramping up and ramping up. And now every time in any sort of sport, there's any sort of a question of, oh, is it close? Is it close enough? You're looking for the players to then basically do the box motion or to put on earmuffs to say, you know, go to a headset and look at it or listen to it, whatever. So that's that. It has basically grown to just being over complicating any sort of situation. With that being said, um, 
you know, it, it was when I was listening to the commentary of the Copenhagen Manchester United match, you could hear the team often talk about the fact that re-refereeing the game is one thing, but you're also slowing every play down to the point of frame by frame. Matches are not refereed frame by frame. They're refereed in real time. And originally this was brought out to just confirm clear and obvious errors. Naturally, of course, you allowed a gray area to evolve. And it's that sub- gray yeah, area became bigger is, and bigger. Some of that, some of it, what we're reviewing is subjective, right? Exactly. Like, like, like offside, you draw the line. That's pretty objective, right? You're either offside or you're not. The ball either crossed the goal line or it did it, right? That's stuff that should be pretty black and white. Now we get into that gray area. Well, was Marcus Rashford's foul a red card? Because or, or we're now subjectively judging intent on that, right? Right. Like, like I, I mean, yes. Okay, by the letter of the law, it, his studs were up and he's on the ankle. And when you slow it down, it looks a lot worse than when you watch it in real time because you see the Copenhagen player's ankle roll over after he, yeah, you know, after, um, after he makes contact. It's funny though because I did actually go back after the match to watch the match in real time. Well, not in real time, but the the way that it was played. Obviously, I already had the you know the presence that I knew what was going to happen, how it was going to be. Did I look at it differently? Yes, of course I did. Of course, when we were watching in real time, yeah, he was trying to make a play to shield the ball. But at the same time, you also, as a player, maybe not instinctually, but you should at least have the idea if you're going to try and lunge in to shield the ball, there's a strong possibility. I'm only just speaking on this play and this play alone. There's a strong possibility that another player's ankle or other part of their leg is going to be on that position. And you subject yourself to a potential call. Now, in the context, again, what we're going back to, are we again re-refereeing, reassessing? The commentary team always said you never heard the fans, even the Copenhagen supporters, asking for penalties and asking for cards. It just was part of the play. But, yeah, we we need to go back. We is in, uh, was it the IFAB? Um, those that write the, the laws of the game. FIFA, to some extent, UEFA, since this is an European competition, and then all the individual football associations need to really go back and just kind of have a rethink about VAR. Do I still think it can have a, a place in football? Yes, I, I do think it can. But I think we need to almost go back to maybe just limiting for certain things. There's obviously goal line technology, which, by the way, didn't actually get every call right because what was it the first game after the return from the pandemic i think it was sheffield united had a goal not called because they literally hit the one blind spot because a camera got crossed by two bodies but that's neither here nor there there is places for var but i think we now need to find that gray area and close it up i don't know what it is I, i like i can't speak to what that gray area is but we have to find it and just shut it and only just look for certain things, whether it's only fouls inside the box. If it's endangerment to the fact that a player's safety, life and limb are on the line, yes, of course you're going to look at that stuff, but we can't just be stopping play for every three or four minutes to look at stuff. 
because then there's no flow. There's no reason for fans to enjoy the games. We had 13 minutes of stoppage time in the first half of that Manchester United Copenhagen game. Well, and- do do remember there was a incident in the stands for yeah, a yeah, fan needed a- medical, sure. but yeah, that there were a good five six minutes of people just standing around. And remember also, fans in the ground don't know what's going yeah. on because there's no. They didn't microphone the referees. They did during the Women's World Cup this past summer. That worked reasonably well. I mean, in the Premier League, you'd figure the majority of those facilities are good enough to have some sort of a comm, or you can at least have a microphone been given to the referee to speak into it. Could be right. one of those things. Just Yeah, just sort of to give you some transparency on this is why we made this decision uh, uh, upon review. And then like my only other my question with, with VAR is like, who is making, and I still think sometimes it's unclear. So who's making the final decision is the referee being called over and looking at the monitor. And then he, he or she is making that final decision. Or is it the VAR official who is telling them what that call should be? Because if you think about it here in, in American football, when, when we watch NFL, right, the referee, gets buzzed to say, go over, we're going to review, and the I what do you call it, the eye in the sky or the, the VAR judge or the replay official is telling them what they see and what the call is going to be. So I think maybe some clarity on in terms of for, for VARs, who is actually making the final decision and who whose hands does that lie in? Because again, you you saw if you go back to that the the Newcastle Arsenal game in the Premier League and and you go back there and they release the audio, like the they had so many things to run through. There was the ball out of bounds. Was there a foul? Was there off? Like, and, and they and the referee is sitting there on the field, going, "Guys, I need a decision. Guys, I need a decision." It's been four minutes, right? And they just, it was just, it was totally crazy in that in that boot trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah, and I think the last thing that I'll have a point to say about and it's not so specific to the Champions League or this instance. Um, it was brought up. Uh, what two weeks ago i believe um i think it was henry winner who did ask this or write about this and speaking how the pgmol have allowed officials to referee matches in other countries and why you're having referees go to saudi arabia or Qatar, or in previous there have been partnerships in japan and other countries where premier league referees go Sometimes it's for educational purposes to work with officials that are domestic or just to get lucrative paychecks for one match and then have to fly up to do a Newcastle Brighton match two days later. We need either video officials that are literally just trained to do that job or we have to very limit the amount of matches that these referees are doing in terms of their traveling. Do they do just Premier League or EFL slash domestic competitions and then Champions League? Or do we just say, no, you just can't go overseas, period, or something along those lines? Again, I'm not the person to make this sort of a critique or suggestion, but these guys are starting to get overtired now. Because, you know, bless for the fact that you're running around because referees, center referees especially, running around the same amount of miles that players are to match, get on a plane for eight hours, then have to go back, reacclimate, and then referee another high it's high stakes, high paced match for two hours with very little recovery time. Yep. 
Good, all, all good points, JJ. I just want to run down the, the Champions League here through four match days. Let me give you the teams that have all qualified for the knockout, the round of 16. Uh, Bayern Munich in Group A is qualified. That's the one where uh, Copenhagen and Galatasaray are both on four points. Manchester United, bottom of that group on three. Uh, Real Madrid has qualified out of Group C, uh, and that is Napoli, Braga, and Union Berlin, uh, who are also in that group. Uh, Real Sociedad and Inter Milan have locked up the top two spots in Group D, both of them on 10 points. So those last two match days, those two will be battling it out to figure out who is uh, the, the top seed uh, going into the, the knockout round. Um, and as I was giving riveting, there we go. I lost my, uh, I lost my uh, tables there. All right. Manchester City and RB Ma- Leipzig. Yep. Are, are both through in, in Group G. Uh, and those are the, the teams that have automatically qualified uh, we did have some interesting stuff in, in that midweek round, particularly in Group F. That was the group of death, if you remember. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, PSG, AC Milan, Newcastle United. Uh, Dortmund beat Newcastle 2-0 uh, at the Westfalen Stadium. And AC Milan got a huge 2-1 win over PSG at the San Siro. This, and this one is super tight. Uh, Dortmund leading on seven points, PSG on six, Milan on five, uh, Newcastle on, on four. Uh, in, in the next match day, you'll have Dortmund will be at Milan and Newcastle goes to PSG. Yeah, the uh, the Milan match, I think it was just a really good performance. Yeah. We don't speak enough about Rafael Leal. I think he could arguably want to be be one of the top players in Europe, if not definitely the top player in Italy at the moment. And then Olivier Giroud always finds and a just, way to, to make just, his mark. He just keeps scoring and he's like, what is he like 36 now? And he just keeps, he just keeps scoring goals. It's, it's remarkable. Um, you know, Age tough, is tough. only a number, my friend. Age yeah, is only a number. You know, tough, you know, tough blow for, for our guy, Christian Pulisic. Although it does look like it's maybe not as bad as it looked in, in real time. Uh, he was not named in the national team squad for the, for the next window, which means that the U S is going to have to navigate that Copa America nations league, playoff without Pulisic, without Tim Weah. So that's, you're missing two of your, your three starters up front. Uh, but it looks like he's going to get three weeks off. Uh, you know, and look, muscle injuries, muscle injuries are tough because you think you're okay. And then you want to come back um, and you want to push it. And then you, you end up re-injuring it again. Um, and you know, that's, that's always been the knock on him as he's been unable to stay healthy for extended periods of time. Um, you know, like the guy's not trying to get help to get hurt. Um, and the shame of it is he was having a really good year for AC Milan too. He he's gone over there uh and, and played really well for them, uh, been an integral part of what they're they're gonna do. Um, uh, you know, and then for the the you know, you look and the injury happens in the second minute of second half stoppage time, and part of you is going, uh, he was probably on the field ten minutes longer than he should have been, uh, and he gets hurt, but um, you know, like you said, JJ, huge result for AC Milan. They hadn't scored a goal in the Champions League up until that game. And then they go behind 1-0 uh, and Leal on his day. You're right, on his day, he could be the best, um, you know, player in, in, in Italy. He's one of the best wingers um, in, in Europe. And, and then, uh, you know, obviously Olivier Giroud gets the, the game winner early, early in the second half there. But, yeah, massive result for them. Uh, that group is certainly, uh, you know, finely poised. Um, the other one that's... Um, you know, a uh, good job. Arsenal, nice bounce back too by Arsenal in Group B. You know, if you remember the the lead up to that was all the questions were about the VAR decision in the Newcastle game where they lost in the Premier League, uh, and then they come back and they beat Sevilla two 0 They get a nice bounce back. 
PSV gets uh, 1-0 gets past Lons. Uh, so Arsenal leads that group on 9, and then PSV and Lons both on 5, and uh, Sevilla on 2 as they go into the final two match days. Uh, JJ, Champions League, what stood out to you? Yeah, a uh, couple of things. First off, got to give some love to Union Berlin getting their first point in Champions League. Fofana, but a tough year. Was actually... but a tough year. For the... Sorry, no, it doesn't matter. They're, they're, yeah. they're in Europe. It was a, a pipe dream for them five years ago, and they're in Europe. And uh, David Fofana has actually been a player that's really stood out for me over the course of the competition, gets himself uh, another goal. Uh, I, I alluded to this actually a couple of episodes ago in the – prior to the reverse leg of this Shakhtar Donetsk is a team that can do some damage and they did it. And now have absolutely opened that group with Barcelona and Porto wide open with a one nil victory. Uh, that match was played obviously not in uh, Ukraine. That was at the Voldpark Stadion in Hamburg where they got a goal in the 40th minute uh, for Danilo Sikhan, who unfortunately had to come off later in the match due to an injury. But now this kind of makes things a bit open here because you look at how the rest of this group is going to go. Porto, who looks like they're in absolute cruise control at the moment, despite slipping up uh, on the weekend to Estoril at home, which you never see teams go into the uh, Stade do Jogal and get results. That's just shocking, um, especially domestically. But Coming up in that, you'll have Barcelona hosting Porto, which an opportunity then for Shakhtar to get three points against the team at the bottom, which would be Antwerp. And that was set up a very fascinating final day in that group. And the other one for me, did I have another one? Well, actually, yeah, Lazio. Um, Chiro Mobile getting one just before halftime to upset Feyenoord who have been kind of here, there, and everywhere during the course of this Champions League. But now that sets up an interesting one where Madrid, they lost points in that home-and-home against Celtic with the draw uh, at Parkhead beforehand. They obviously smashed Celtic 6-0 in this round. But Lazio and Feyenoord will each get to play Madrid, but they'll also play Celtic, and that's going to be a battle for pretty much guaranteed going to be in Europe at some point uh but it's just are you going to be moving on to the round of 16 in the Champions League or going to the playoff in Europa League and I was going to say by the way this is not really much of a shockwave for me I know we started the show talking about VAR United were up two goals but they stopped playing after they scored the second one from Hoyland so it didn't surprise me that Copenhagen were going to come back and get some from that match that's all yeah, that, yeah, that, that group's really, obviously, really interesting. Shakhtar Donetsk, to me, that, that you brought them up, is a very interesting team because it feels like every year in Europe they throw up a result where they they beat a Barcelona or they beat a Real Madrid or they'll beat a, you know, or they'll, or they'll have one where they, they get a point off Manchester City or, or something like that. And they're, they're one of those teams that is always capable when you play them, even though they have this kind of now nomadic existence because they can't play in their you know they haven't played in their home arena for like a decade now because of the the the, the politics and, and the conflict in in that country you know they played games in, in kiev now you know you, they're playing games in in germany or poland and yet they continue to to toss up results and, and continue to kind of be this this trap game against against the big club and you're right they go in and they they, they get something off antwerp and you know somebody's got a got to drop points from barcelona porto that's a very very mouthwatering final day in uh group h um i just wanted to jj i know you wanted to run down some of the europa league stuff um you know again 
Liverpool beat Toulouse 5-1 at home. They turn around, they go to France, and they lose 3-2. Uh, look like they may have had a late equalizer there, but again, VAR jumps in, handball in the build-up, no goal. Liverpool ends up losing that game. Now, they're still uh, comfortably on top of, of Group E with two match days left on nine points or two points ahead of Toulouse. Um, but anything, JJ, I know you wanted to talk about the Europa League that sticks out to you from, from there. Yeah, well, actually, today, I mean, Group B is the one that kind of everyone has had their eye on with Ajax, Brighton, Ake, yep. Athens, and Marseille. And Brighton does the double against their Dutch rivals after a couple of weeks ago, winning by two goals to none at home. They do the same thing again today with a goal from Ansu Fati and uh, Edingra just after halftime. Brighton look comfortable now after a very sluggish start to yep. the competition sure. uh, i believe their next match is gonna be yeah ike in athens so trying to get a little retribution from their challenging opener but if brighton get points there i'm pretty sure they will be through to the knockout stage west yeah. ham once again looking comfortable against olympiacos they had to wait inside the final 20 minutes for pa uh, paqueta to get himself on the score sheet but i believe their joint yeah their joint level with freiburg yep. So they're looking in decent control. Rangers are salvaging this season right now because they picked up a positive result, 2-1 at home to Sparta Prague. For those that are unfamiliar, they've went through another manager change of, during the course of this season. They just did get to what the Scottish version of the EFL Cup final, the Viaplay Cup final this past week. And getting the league is pretty much out of the question right now so they're going to be living for cup competitions but remember just a couple of seasons ago rangers were in the final of the europa league so there is a pedigree for them to go get something they have betis coming up in their their last match day so if they're still alive to try and get first place remember in the europa league first place means you don't have to play that playoff match and if you finish second, then not only do you play the playoff match against a team that drops down from the Champions League, you are the first leg. You are not the second leg home team. So there is yes. a huge disadvantage for finishing second. I, I like that there's a huge incentive to win that group in the in the Europa League. You know, by the way, you, you yeah. talked about that Brighton group. Man, I, what a no good, miserable year for Ajax this this season. I, I mean, just absolutely nothing has, has gone right there. They've struggled in domestically uh the fans are, are turning on the club they fired a manager uh and now they're they're rock bottom of their their europa league group on on two points uh but you're right they got nice nice bounce back by brighton they they lost that home open that opener at home to, to ike athens and you thought oh could they be in some trouble here in, in that first sort of european voyage that they're on uh, but they've done a nice job to recover and, and win the last two and look like they have a pretty good shot of getting themselves through uh to the knockout stage and one uh, more thing for me, yeah. Kyle, Yep. one team that I don't think anybody has really talked about and we should give them some love, Bayer Leverkusen. Why are we going to talk about them? They have yet to lose a competitive match in this season. They are nine wins, one draw in the league, in the Bundesliga. They're top. That draw, by the way, 2-2 away at Bayern Munich. And they are absolutely cruising in this league, in this um, uh, Europa League right now. Four wins from four, 12 goals scored, two conceded. They beat Karbag, which is not an easy trip, by the way, going all the way out to Azerbaijan. Obviously, they got a little bit of a comfortable group with Molda and BK Hacken there. But 
Leverkusen, who are a bit of a sleeping giant in European football, are closing in once again on being woken up. And you don't want to wake up this team right now because there are actually some ballers and ones that are not like, again, we're not talking about them that much, but Boniface is having a heck of a season with seven goals in the league um, along with five assists. You're having a team with, I believe their XG is something averaging. Yeah. It's like thus far 21, 22 goals in 10 league matches. Which, again, it's Bayern usually and then everybody else below them. But Leverkusen are on one right now. Keep an eye on how they go out through the next couple of weeks because they have Union Berlin on the weekend before the international break. And then they have Dortmund right after their match against Hawkins. So that's one of those where can they actually get a little bit of uh, some ground in the Bundesliga and carry this form over to make a run in the Europa League. Yeah, they have, they have a two-point lead over Bayern Munich right now because of that great start. And they have a they have a young superstar in Florian Wirtz who's just 20 years old. Yep. You'll start to see him this this summer. You'll see his name linked to all the, the big clubs throughout Europe. Um, you know, speaking of big clubs, back in the Premier League, JJ, Manchester City. They had 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 their slip up where they dropped two league games in a row. Bounce back with three straight wins, and all of a sudden, uh, we get to go into match week 12, and here we are. Manchester City is back on top of the league on 27 points, uh, leading Tottenham by by one, Tottenham on 26, Liverpool on 24, Arsenal on 24. Uh, so it's still fairly tight at the top, uh, just three points separating the, the top four teams, but uh, you know, Spurs was leading the league and then ran into trouble last weekend uh, against Chelsea, took the lead in that match. Chelsea equalized. Spurs goes down to nine men and then proceeds to concede three more goals. Chelsea wins uh, four to one. I'm not going to declare Chelsea as back yet because they they beat uh, nine-man Spurs. But that said, Chelsea, Man City this week. Chelsea is now unbeaten in four of the last five, won three of those. Starting to play a little bit better. Pochettino maybe starting to to get his influence uh, over the squad now. Um, JJ, Chelsea, can they? Manchester City, can they take something in that game? They'll obviously be confident. It's it's at the bridge I, I, too. That doesn't mean anything, especially the way that Chelsea have played at home this season. That means nothing. Um, I like where your head's at, but it means nothing. Um, they're going to be confident coming in. You speak about that Tottenham match, and I, I love all the post-match quotes from Ange Postacoglu okay. because he's a manager who will live and die by the way that he plays his style of football, but at the same time, his players are so bought in that they're happily going to do that, even down to nine men and defending with such a high line. I mean, they were still a goal down what entering with the 85th 90th minute of that match yeah and two, two stoppage time goals from Chelsea yeah to- so like we can't really say that that was a great performance a vintage performance from Chelsea because you actually had that one with more Tottenham fans happier obviously than they would have wanted the three points they would have been you know on top of the world but they're pretty happy coming out of that match despite the fact that they lost two players because they've got a manager that they want to fight for but with that said Chelsea did at least show some small glimpses. I think they will put in a shift. 
but City will probably win that match 3-1 because if Chelsea's on form, you look at the last five matches for Manchester City in all competitions, it's 9, 12, 15, 17 goals scored in the last five, concede three. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see many teams getting anything from them. I think they're just they had that little blip and yep. then they're just gonna turn into robots like they always do and just run through. Uh Spurs, we, we mentioned Spurs. Do we like Spurs as a bounce back here against Wolves? Um uh, it'll be the first match of the weekend. Uh yeah, I do. I do. I think I like Spurs to to bounce back, but I think this is a test for them as well, right? Because um, you lost that, that game to Chelsea where you went down the nine men, which means you're going to have two players suspended and unavailable for this match. Um, and, and now you've been knocked off the top of the table. So uh, how do you respond? It's one of those, those I think, matches that, that test your character, test what you have as a team, kind of show us what you got, right? Chelsea, uh, excuse me, Tottenham. If you're serious about staying in this race as a contender, go out there and beat Wolves um, and, and give us a bounce back performance. Yeah, there's a chance for a bounce back. I mean, you have to take into the account Dogi and Romero, the two that are off. Romero obviously being you know in the leadership positions as well, so that's kind of kind of a bit of a loss in there. And you still look at some of the players that are on their way back uh, for Tottenham, so it's going to be a little bit of a, a less than full strength side against a Wolves team that are actually coming in pretty good confidence. They're going to look back to bounce back after losing 2-1 to Sheffield, which for them was, it's kind of crazy to think about it, but if Wolves won that match, I would already put a green check mark next to their name saying that they're safe for this season, which is crazy that we're still in the month of November or that we're only in November and that we're basically deeming teams 14th and better 15th and better that are safe but I think both of those teams are going to really go after that I think Tottenham with their high line they'll have to watch out for Huang who has been in very good form in the last few matches so that's going to be something to keep an eye on especially with the fact where you, you might have a, a change look especially with Dyer possibly being the guy that's going to have to come in at center half might not be able to handle the speed of Huang Yichen um, especially Cunha also being that guy that's going to play off of him. So maybe this could be one where Wolves actually take something, maybe a point, but it, that definitely would be a point earned. Yeah, it's funny you, you mentioned that because we look at the, the bottom four and it almost feels like we've already made up our mind that it's going to be Luton, Bournemouth, Burnley, Sheffield United. Th- three of those four are, are going to go down. Um, Everton has got a little bit of distance now on 11 points. By Fulham, only 12 points. It's been a struggle to score goals for for, for Fulham this year. Um, but it, it does, to me, feel like we're starting to get a little separation. And I know it's only through 11 matches, but it feels like it's, it's three of those four that are going to go down. Um, the winner of this weekend's Crystal Palace-Everton match, you can Sharpie them okay. as in they're going to be safe. I can boldly, even for Everton, can boldly say that if Everton gets three points on the road at Selhurst Park, they will be safe. That that like I know the weekend you and I were talking briefly before we were recording how it's not like the most interesting weekend. There are a number of just really fascinating matches because remember, after this international break, we're not gonna have another one until correct me if I'm wrong, but March. March. 
So this is where you actually start to gain that momentum. Then you build it through the festive period. Then you start to see those teams that want to go into the transfer market and make things happen because you're going to have those four, as I said, that are going to be battling for survival at the bottom. And then you're just going to have a whole pack of teams who are going to be looking to (laughs) try and nip a European spot. Because again, who knows how many European spots we're going to have this year. Or so or not play their way into the bottom of the, you know, not play their way into a, a relegation position. I almost think at this point that that can't happen. I really think at this point that for the teams, as long as they, and I'm saying this again for Everton specifically, even your Fulham as well to some very small, very small, they're, they're safe, but for some small extent, any team that's above, 12 points or at least has at least a six point gap on the bottom three after this weekend are safe. Let's just run down the rest of the fixtures this weekend. Manchester United's got Luton town. Arsenal's got Burnley. Uh, We mentioned the crystal palace, Everton game, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Aston Villa, Fulham, Brighton, Sheffield United, West Ham, Nottingham forest and Liverpool, Brentford. That's the rest of your weekend. Yeah. Probably the best of the bunch would be, would be Liverpool versus Brentford. Of course, you're looking at a bounce back, Poss- uh, opportunity for Liverpool after falling just today in Europa League to Toulouse. Brentford, again, they've been kind of hit or miss, but they've been on the right side of hit or miss recently with three straight wins on the bounce. This is one of those for Liverpool that can solidify their spot in that top four heading into the international break. Well, for Brentford, if they win this match, they could potentially go as high as seventh. And again, they're just counting down the days till they have Ivan Tony available. So if they keep themselves in that conversation, then they have a real chance in the new year to get Europe. Uh, FA Cup second round draw came out, JJ. Um, my Kitty Minster Harriers, Harriers, my FA Cup team, unfortunately, they did not advance. Uh, but there were some teams uh, from the lower leagues that did get through. Um, anything are you know Wrexham of course I think is a, is a team that's uh that got through and certainly because of the television show and the ownership there um uh, has picked up some popularity uh here in America uh the scores sometimes the Wrexham scores sometimes will pop up on the on the bottom line of the ticker uh they got a second round uh tie against Uval Town uh JJ any uh any of those say that again round? say that again Yeovil 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 Town. Yeovil Town. Yeovil Town. Again, I told you, these names are my favorite things about the early round of the FA Cup. Yeah, well, it's actually funny because Yeovil were in the third round a couple years ago. I had a friend that was actually at that match, uh, and it was an absolutely rain-soaked afternoon, and you can get out your geography books now. (laughs) Southwest of England. Anyways, the ones that stand out to me, Kyle... as um, we still have a bunch of replays and actually on Monday's show, we will highlight some of those replays because there are tasty ones, including the two that got selected for television, which means some lower league teams are about to make bank Um, Ramsgate in the eighth division drew away to AFC Wimbledon. So outstanding stuff there for Ramsgate who just got through um their last match goodness of course naturally i i lost my <laughs> spot on where that was they were away in that no were they home 
Yeah, they were home. They defeated Woking by two goals to one in that. So they have a chance to play at Plow Lane, which that's a facility that I've been to. It's a fantastic arena and a great day out for those supporters. Um, you will also have the likes of either Chester City or York taking on Wigan and all Northwest Derby, which should be pretty fascinating. Uh, let's see. There are couple yeah Wrexham against Yeovil as you said that'll be a decent one Oxford United will be facing either Slough Town or Grimsby Town those two teams played to a one all with Slough Town's player manager Scott Davies yes getting I, the I love a player one. I love a player manager if you, were player player manager. Ma- if you were a player manager where would you play yourself center uh, four right center four or in goal or, or center half <laughs> or center back easy um yeah, I think there'll be more plot lines that will build up once we get through the uh, the replays because that's, again, where I think the beauty of the competition will come out to because there are a lot of lower league teams that still have to get through uh, replays, which will be on Tuesday and Wednesday. Well, before we, we wrap it up and, and say goodnight for the week, KJ, anything uh, else around the world you want to touch on before we uh... – before we uh we depart for for the weekend gladly as again i am wearing my og gotham fc sweatshirt as you see the nike is not even on there this is before they were actually selling nike license apparel but it came from the club on saturday evening at the beautiful snapdragon stadium you will have ol rain taking on gotham that'll be a 8 p.m kickoff eastern time on the big boy or in this case big girl cbs why is this match important? Well, you've got a number of reasons. It's a main trophy on the line, of course. It wraps up the women's domestic season in the U.S. You will have the two star headliners. Megan Rapino has yet to win an American domestic trophy. Allie Krieger, yet to win an American domestic trophy, both of which are playing in their final match in their careers. You have Megan Rapino's partner, Sue Bird, who is a part owner of Gotham FC. Again, you know, <laughs> so, where, where yeah, your loyalty so you is going to lie on that night. And it, and there's just some there's some really good footballers that are going to be on display in that match. Uh, I think actually just came through. Is it my? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Gotham FC's Jenna Nyswanger just won the rookie of the year. So outstanding left back, actually leading all rookies with 35 tackles, one of the course of the season, former Florida State Seminole. And yeah, it's going to be a great showcase. And again, it comes off the backing of the league announcing today a new TV media partners deal with CBS, ESPN, who are getting back into it after uh, leaving, uh, basically covering the NWSL at the end of the 2019 season. Amazon Prime and Ion over the course of four years were worth 240 million dollars and the clubs are going to be making a whole lot of money proof further in the pudding that if you invest in women's sport big things will happen i just want to also point out that uh despite the club's name uh as a jersey as a jersey guy who now who spends all his time there gotham is in fact based in new jersey trains in new jersey and is owned by the governor of new jersey it is a jersey club uh so go gotham in the uh 
in the final. Uh, I just want to touch on the MLS playoffs here in, in the U.S. briefly before we go. Uh, they have managed to come up with a new convoluted playoff format in MLS. Leave it to leave it to MLS to um, mess mess with something that's good. But now the, the 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 second round series are a best of three, where because you have to have a a winner in each round, each game goes to penalty kicks if it is tied. Um, so, so we have some, some game threes coming up. Some of them were, were two game sweeps. You have an international break thrown in the middle of the MLS playoffs. Um, but there is one semifinal that is set because the only two teams to sweep were Cincinnati who won the supporter shield, uh, swept, uh, the Red Bulls in the second round and the union who are of course in MLS cup final last year, swept the new England revolution. Uh, so that is one semifinal that is set. The other ones are are still pe- to be determined. It was a little hard to to follow again because of this convoluted playoff format. Um, but a- as you guys know, I am somebody who watches MLS. I enjoy watching the uh, the, the domestic league here. Uh, so I just wanted to get caught up on that. Uh, of course, Messi FC is not in the playoffs. They were not able to overcome that that huge deficit um, despite him coming back and, and really giving them some juice, giving the league some juice. Um, yeah, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm excited to, uh, you know, see, to, to see what happens with the, with the MLS cup playoffs, the semifinals, once we come back from the, uh, the international break. Uh, so that is a wrap for box to box football this week. We talked champs league. We talked match week 12 of the premier league. We had, uh, another discussion against VAR because VAR seems to get involved every week. Uh, and we, uh, we took you around the world at the end of the day. Um, so thanks for joining us and we will see you next time.